Welcome to the Team Health Podcast program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I am Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is one of our series discussing the work-life imbalance that many of us have to address in our daily lives. Today's program goes well beyond taking care of our patients and lands us in the realm of taking care of those around us and ourselves. We're going to talk about the importance of recognizing and addressing clinical burnout. Lots of clinicians experience significant burnout. Many get depressed, some withdraw from their practices and their families, and sometimes the consequences are even more devastating. The toll of burnout is often a significant loss of joy in the professional and personal components of our life. This is true for all specialties in medicine. Joining me today is Dr. Zafar Shamoon, an experienced emergency physician. He has had a rapid rise to leadership after his training. Not long after graduating from his residency, he became a medical director of the Rochester General Hospital Adult ED, one of the 10 busiest in the country. He is currently the chief of emergency services at the Beaumont Dearborn Hospital. He's an active lecturer and a respected colleague. Dr. Shamoon, welcome to our program. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Zafar, recently I had the opportunity to listen to you describe a very personal and compelling story of of your journey and realized you'd be a terrific presenter on our program. We can all learn from you. Perhaps you'd start by telling us how you came to develop an interest in this topic. Sure. About eight years ago, I actually almost quit medicine. So personally, I went through it. I looked back at a difficult time in my life and I said to myself, I have to get the word out about this disease because it is a disease and it can affect you at any point in your career, including early as med school. I really want people to learn from my mistakes and more importantly, learn the ways I fought this problem to get to where I am today. Well, for you, how bad did it get? Well, I was clinically depressed and not many people around me recognized it. Heck, I didn't even realize it. It wasn't until I was talking to my counselor that it really hit me. It got that bad. You know, I just moved to upstate New York so my wife could pursue her radiology residency. I just finished my second year of being an attending. And looking back, I was an arrogant young doctor. You know, I did great on my board scores. I had a strong residency. I grew up in inner Detroit. I felt entitled, I think. And in my mind, I couldn't be wrong. And now I was making a lot of money because I'd never had money before. And I started working more because making working more makes more money. And I also started doing more night shifts because, well, night shifts had a differential. And this was a place that saw 100,000 patients a year with high acuity. So I look back and I realize how exhausted I was, and that truly contributed to my issue. So if I'm understanding this correctly, you're what people call burned out. And you've become an acknowledged expert on the topic. From your perspective, what is burnout? Why does it happen? How does it affect people? Well, to me, the hallmark signs of burnout are being emotionally drained, you're depleted, and you're worn out by your work. And you really can't recover from your non-working clinical hours. You end up developing a callus toward patients and even the staff, especially in my situation if I was ever questioned. And And then you get a feeling of being really incompetent. And for me, that was a really late sign. I look back and I thought to myself, I just wasted eight years of my life in medical school and residency for a job now that I don't even want anymore. You know why it happened to me? It's probably many reasons. I wasn't efficient at the EMR, so I was staying over to finish my charts, increased bureaucratic tasks at work, the amount of hours certainly, 
I was eating poorly. I used to drink a ton of soda. And then I realized I wasn't also getting enough sleep before my shifts. The other part of this is being an ER physician, I was seeing traumatic, sad cases over and over again and becoming numb to them. And looking back at my situation, it was probably a combination of all these. You know, like I said earlier, not having money, buying nice things for the first time in life, I wanted to work more and more. I wanted that BMW. I wanted that elaborate home theater system. I wanted those designer clothes. And I kept thinking to myself, it's just another three or four shifts to pay that off. So I was sacrificing my physical health, my mental health, as well as my relationship, including the one with my wife. Thank God she's the most patient woman in the world. When I saw you last, you may not have been wearing designer clothes, but you were looking mighty good. So it looks like you've uh, taken uh, this very seriously. But can you describe in a little more detail uh, how people around you were affected? You said that you became calloused and when questioned at work, you reacted. Uh, You said that at home, it sounds like you were overwhelmed as well. Can you describe a little bit of that? Sure. I never like to be questioned by the nurses during this time in my life because I felt I could do no wrong. And I was working more hours. I was becoming very impatient with the staff and really with my um, patients. And that affected my quality and probably affected my Prescani scores for sure. I was, I remember being one of the lowest on consecutive months and that really bothered me, but it also didn't bother me because I kept doing it. And that took a toll on my career at home, my wife and I never really saw each other. She was in residency. And when she had a day off, I would pick up shifts. And we were almost like two ships passing in the sea at night. And that's how I remember it. And then when we would get together, we would not spend time, quality time together. We would just be like five, 10 minutes here and there. We didn't set up date nights. We didn't set up time to talk. We didn't set up family planning. You know, that's something that we had talked about for a long time. We didn't have any kids at this time. So it was really affecting not only my work life, but it was affecting my home life. And while this was going on, my physical well-being was suffering. I was gaining weight. I wasn't sleeping well. Um, I had a a short attention span. All these things take effect on me during this period of my life. So it sounds like it was a slow downhill course. Some people describe uh, a moment, an aha moment, or a time when uh, they're forced to confront this and it's that that leads to a change. Did you have one of those moments? 2011 and my father passed away. And it was a sudden death and my father was one of my best friends in my life. He was the main reason I became a physician and he was the main reason I was able to survive Detroit. When he died, I lost it. I didn't want to practice medicine anymore. I went back home to Michigan. I was there for a month and a half. I had no desire to practice medicine again. And it was at that time I realized that I was not just that one incident of my dad dying. It was a combination of things, the long hours, the unhealthy eating, the relationship with my friends and wife, the quality suffering at work, the poor Prescanis at work staying long after my shifts are over to complete those charts in the EMR. All these things contributed, not just that. But that was the one thing that really made me realize that I I have a problem here. Well, it's certainly a terrible event, but it sounds like you recovered and have made some dramatic changes. So what, what was the result and what has changed? 
Well, I think the biggest thing is my habits have changed. I put things on a calendar now, whether it's things like such as playing basketball, which I love, going to my two-year-old son hip-hop class, a school function for my daughter, date night with my wife, or visiting my mom. I say these because these are priorities for me. The things I sacrificed before, I won't now because it helps me maintain my wellness. Other things I certainly do is I eat better. I don't stack my shifts. I make sure I get enough sleep time before my shifts, and I recover way better during my non-clinical hours. You know, I haven't drank, I was just talking to my wife, I haven't drank soda in almost three years. So I really try to maintain the habits I learned so I don't go back to not having wellness again. But the, the, the thing to remember is to maintain these habits because you are still going to have rough shifts. You're still going to get tired. It's how you recover by using some of these techniques that I think make the biggest difference. Can you define wellness, what it means to you and your journey to get there? Well, the best definition I've ever heard is the one I learned from Dr. Frank Lee at the ASAP Leadership Academy, which I had the privilege of going to. And his definition is proper prioritization between work and lifestyle. And I think that is a phenomenal definition. And for me, my journey, it was the employee assistance program that saved my career. Because of this help, I was able to return to work and actually it made me a better physician, a better husband, and I think a better person. They were able to help me figure out how to address each aspect of my professional career. And actually, these are some of the same techniques I currently use, not only at work, but at home as well. It was someone listening and actually understood what I was going through that helped me out the most. And that's sometimes what you really need. So I was looking at your CV, studying your CV prior to this uh, podcast, and I noticed that you have volunteered for somewhat fewer things in the last couple of years than you did earlier. Is that part of keeping the most important things in front, making sure that you're attending to your family and your primary responsibilities at work without getting distracted? Yes, that is true. Now I have two kids, so they take priority. I want to maintain a phenomenal relationship with my wife. That takes a priority. I've also got very much involved in the residency program. I'm the associate residency program director, and I'm very passionate about that. And I enjoy lecturing. And I lo enjoy teaching. These are the priorities for me. And also taking care of myself, making sure I have time to work out, making sure I have time for basketball, and making sure I have time for relationships outside of work, friends, family, going to the movies, seeing my mom, getting with my brother and sister who I haven't seen in a while. These things that I sacrificed before, I'm not willing to sacrifice now because I know how important it is for my wellness. Well, those uh, sound like good lessons for all of us. Um, I want to ask you, um, <clears throat> you've talked about this in relationship to coming to a recognition of, for you, a group of dysfunctional behaviors and making some changes. You're a medical director. Uh, and are you able to apply this to uh, people who work with you? And do you have to be a medical director to recognize this kind of stress and strain in others? No. You know, I think as ER colleagues in any discipline of medicine, we need to look out for our colleagues. And, you know, I extend this not only to physicians, but also to our mid-level colleagues. We have to keep an eye on them. We have to see signs of, like, such as coming back from a, a great vacation and they're very callous when they come back. Like, I can't believe I have to come back. This sucks. 
this could be a sign that, you know, they are not feeling well. And you do not have to be a medical director on this. There's different strategies and techniques that you can pick up on, not only for yourself, but for your colleagues. You know, it could be continued poor relationship with staff, continued poor relationship with patients, or your, even your colleagues. And you might see them they become disheveled at times. I remember I didn't care about my appearance, and I was really disheveled. And that some of these could be signs that someone's burning out, and you don't need to be a medical director on this. There's other tools that you can use, too, like there's the MBI, the Maslach Burnout Inventory. That's a phenomenal tool that's widely accepted as the most efficient and accepted tool in the industry in identifying burnout. So, Zofar, do you have some final words? Let's assume that somebody takes the burnout inventory and recognizes something that they probably already knew and gets confirmation. What would you recommend? I think recognizing the signs for you or your colleague is a first step. I think the second step is getting help. Because if you were like me, you couldn't have done it alone. And you know what? That's okay. You know, it's funny because I moved back to Michigan and one of the criteria I had for whatever company I would work for is they had resources for things like what I went through. And I'm fortunate that Team Health has a great resource in their physician wellness services. There's other resources such as MBI, which is great, which you talked about. And, you know, I look back and if it wasn't for my journey and my techniques I learned and that I maintained, I don't think I would have gotten into, into administration, certainly. But the more importantly, I fell in love with medicine again. And for that, I feel really fortunate. Well, Zephyr, I, uh, I really appreciate your sharing your particular perspective, actually one to which many of us can relate and from which we can all learn. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast with Dr. Zafar Shamoon. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you for joining us.